This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. All right, let's talk driving now, including winter driving tips, sharing the road with cyclists, and is this the year that you will switch to an electric vehicle. My guest is Steve Wallace, owner of Wallace Driving School. I'm very pleased to welcome him back to the show. Hi, Steve. Well, hi. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, Mike. Thank you, Steve. Same to you, and thanks for coming on. Let's talk a little uh, winter driving right now. And one of the things that jumps out at me in sort of recent driving the last few days for myself, Steve, is that we just passed the winter solstice. The days are very short. It gets dark very quickly. And man, oh man, when I sometimes see cyclists dressed in dark clothes with no lights, or I see pedestrians uh, walking into walking uh, at crosswalks and stuff with with uh, very dark clothing on, you got to be so aware and cautious behind the wheel. And you know, my wife is an avid cyclist, and She's got very bright light on her bike. She's got highly reflective clothes that she wears when she's on her bike. And her motto is get lit or get hit. And I just want to, you know, people have got to be, if they're a pedestrian or they're a cyclist, you got to be seen. What are your thoughts on it? Well, this is the, this is the year we should be lighting up. And I mean, lighting up everything. And I, I don't want to switch topics early, but I mean, there should be a law in this province that you cannot paint a line on a roadway, whether it's a lane marking or a a marking for the shoulder, that is not reflective. And they consistently, consistently put lines on the road that you cannot see. And they burn off the old lines and then realign the travel lanes, the vehicle travel lanes, car travel lanes, because of the accommodation of bike lanes or other manners of re you know, redirecting traffic and the burned off lines actually shine up better than the lines that they're painting on the road. And so somebody has got to get a a half a brain and realize that if you have reflective lines on the road, and this goes to reflective clothing, they shouldn't be able to sell anything in this province as far as an outer garment is concerned without some sort of reflective thing that would shine up at night. And I think pedestrians are most in peril for reasons that, you know, anytime they have an argument with a vehicle and there's a crash, I mean, the pedestrians always come off worse, and that applies to cyclists as well. So the big deal this year, I think the motto this year would be light up, light up no matter who you are or where you're going. Okay, I like it, especially the uh, the reflective lines on the road as well, because the technology is advanced now that some of those lines they can lay down on the road, they can be super bright. I mean, they work really well. Well, we are a reactive society. Here's what's, if you want to sum up the Canadian culture, okay, here's what we do. We're going to wait for somebody to get killed, and then there'll be a lawsuit. And then over time, what we'll do is we'll do a reactive thing because we are a reactive society, and then we'll decide someone will have the bright idea, no pun intended, oh, let's have reflective lines. And we've been asking for that for almost a decade. And the powers that be, whether municipal, provincial, or federal, are simply, I think they're irresponsible at this point. Okay, speaking of Steve Wallace, Wallace Driving School. Steve, you do a great job in the column that you write in the Victoria Times Colonist uh, newspaper, which people can access online, and I, I highly recommend that you check out. And I was reading about some of your tips on sharing the road, right? So what are your thoughts on that? for cyclists and also like a lot of electric bikes out there these days too well the 
provincial government, I have great, great sympathy for them. I don't know what they're going to do, Mike, uh, to be blunt. There, there was a guy passed me on an electric skateboard the other day. Now, he was going pretty fast, uh, and he seemed like he knew what he was doing. But I don't know what the rule is, and I've tried to find out. And there's another fella, and they're altering their um, electric bikes so that they're only allowed to go, you know, 30K. This is their max speed. But a lot of them are modifying them, and they're flying by at 50Ks and so on. And then there's other things, like there's a guy was on a Segway, and to be blunt, we didn't know whether he should be on the sidewalk or on the road. And he was cooking along pretty good, too. And so the province has said that they're going to include in legislation all of these modes of transportation sooner than later. And I think there's going to be legislation in the spring session, or at least one of the cabinet ministers has told me that. So I think that yeah. we're going to have some sort of, of governance of those items. And I hope it's not just a money grab and a licensing, you know, kerfuffle for these people. But the fact is we have to have some sort of manner of insurance. There's no way that we as drivers should be taking the 100% load. Because you know what's going to happen to an insurance adjuster. If a car hits a Segway, well, the Segway isn't insured. Well, guess who's going to be immediately deemed to be at fault for insurance purposes? Those kinds of things have got to be sorted out, and they've got to be sorted out soon. Okay, well, I can tell you I've seen those electric skateboards too, Steve, and, yeah, they're getting faster, they're getting more powerful, and I can tell you that the law in British Columbia now, it's illegal to use an electric skateboard on a road, like a, a road in, in British Columbia. You're only supposed to be able to use those on, like, like private land or whatever, but... It's an emerging area of lot, as for sure, because we've seen electric scooters, electric bicycles and stuff. So you're right. I think that's one that's going to be an issue for the provincial government uh, in the new year. Steve, let me ask you about um, the requirement that the B.C. government brought in for ride-hailing drivers, a Class 4 commercial license. I spoke yesterday to a Coquitlam City councillor who recently got her Class 4 because she wants to be a ride-hailing driver. And she said she was surprised by the amount of knowledge she had to learn on driving a, like a heavy uh, trucks and tractor trailers and that kind of thing to get a Class 4, which she said just seemed like, I don't know, kind of going too far when you just want to be a ride-hailing driver. Your thoughts on the Class 4 requirements for ride-hailing? you think it's a good idea? Um, I think the Class 4 should be mandatory for a couple of reasons. All it is is a taxi endorsement, and they're competing directly with the taxi, so let's put them all on a, on, on, on a, a level playing field. Okay. Now, the other thing, too, though, is I've, I've sort of modified my thoughts on that over the last couple of months. I think that the Class 4 designation has two parts. One is if you want to drive a bus up to 24 passengers, or if, in fact, you have... Um, uh, a taxi where you're simply going to go through a different test. So there are two kinds of tests for the class four. And when you study the book, you only have to study those sections that require the restricted class four license, which is under the uh, 12 passengers. So as such, if you want a taxi license, my solution to this whole problem is, I know it sounds odd, but let's call it class four light and put yeah. the cabs and the ride-hailing people all in the same category right. without the onerous and significant written test. They already have a Class 5 license. The driving they're doing is in a Class 5-type car, and right. there's no more 
necessity to have them have all these kinds of things that go with air brakes and, and large buses and so on and do that restricted category for for taxi and ride hailing ride sharing services and i think that they need what's called i would call it a, a class four uh a type or whatever and that new classification would put everyone on a level playing field and it would be a tertiary mechanical inspection and i tell you right now more people flunk that mechanical inspection on the vehicles than they do the driving section on the class fours because my conversation with the examiners uh, they're telling me, gee, Steve, these guys can drive. Of course, they've been driving for 30 years or 20 years, and they want to get a Class 4. And the Class 4 road test is very similar to the Class 5. It's actually somewhat easier than the Class 5 uh, uh, class uh, to get to get your L, right, actually. Right. Uh, you know, to get to go from L to N is, is a very difficult test. There's nine skill-related things. But the Class 4 light would be on and off the highway, a number of tertiary things that you would do with left turns, right turns, some parking, and so on, and the mechanical inspection, uh, and these people would be good to go. Okay, I like that idea, too, and I think I agree with you that uh, a separate license classification for taxi and ride-hailing drivers, I think, makes a lot of sense. Steve, you do a great job educating the public on the rules of the road. What would you say right now if I asked you what is the most misunderstood rule of the road out there that maybe people don't realize what the law is or maybe they have a poor understanding or they got the wrong idea what the law actually is well i'll go i'll go with a couple mike the first one is left turn on a solid red light so if in fact you're at an intersection and you're turning from a two-way or a one-way onto a one-way street you can go up to the red light you can stop no pedestrians hindering you no vehicles hindering you, bicycles or otherwise, and you can turn left on that red light onto a one-way street after stopping and making sure it's safe. And people consistently, I would say only one person every hundred in this province knows that rule and expedites it. And as such, it keeps the traffic moving. That's a big, big deal. The other thing is that people don't understand the difference between a yield and and a merge sign. A merge means that you have equal rights to get on that road with a person that's already in that lane. So that person in the lane must accommodate you getting on that highway. A yield sign, you could probably rot in that lane for decades, and they have no duty to perform or no duty to let you in to the to the travel lane. Usually it's a courtesy, and most people in British Columbia create space for people who are yielding to get onto a roadway. And, and okay. I, there's a lot more courtesy out there than people really give us credit for. Let's go to Glenn Maple Ridge. Hey, Glenn. Hey, Steve, I'm 100% behind you on the painted lines. They're awful. You can't see them at all at night and rainy. They're absolutely terrible. One other thing that they should also paint is those, uh, they should put reflectors on those those concrete islands, you know, where they're separating the left turn lane, the low ones. You can't see those either half the time at nighttime. You don't know where they start and begin and how many people are hitting those and losing control. Okay, Steve. yeah. Well, the other thing too is that why are they there? We're, we're trying to figure out why those concrete and those concrete curbs are there with the asphalted areas, and we're trying to figure out why they exist. In many cases, they've done away with them, and they put in the lines to designate the separation of traffic. Unless there have been horrendous crashes in these areas, why are you putting these islands and then hiding them by not painting reflective? Uh, uh, markings. Uh, it's 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 almost like they want someone to hit them. Well, you're talking about in a left a left turn lane. 
Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. That's a good question. Let's let's go to uh, Blake in the West End. Hey, Blake. Good morning. This is more regarding the skateboards, electric, and, and yeah. that. Um, in the West End here on the Comox Street, for example, it's all downhill from Broad. Well, guess what? Because they're not supposed to be in the two-way bike lanes and on the road, they're using the sidewalks like mad now, and we have a school here. So the elderly, the scooters and that, are now using the road because the sidewalks are very unsafe because of all this new uh, new fads and that. I think when this gentleman talks to the, the motor vehicle branch or whatever it is, something has got to be seriously done about this. Okay, you're, you, you're arguing for what, licensing, Steve, for electric vehicles? No, um, I don't know what kind of licensing would be available, but I do know that there should be some sort of manner of registration. Um, as far as that registration is concerned, then at least the government will be keeping track. But the key for me is sacrosanct is the pavement is for people that are traveling. The sidewalk, particularly for mobility scooters, that is paramount. You don't want people in mobility scooters on the road. You want to make sure the sidewalks are done properly so they have certain elevations. You want to make sure that they have dips so they can go down at intersections and not have to jump curbs. So the public is used to having mobility scooters who have a certain limited speed on sidewalks. There's no way in God's green earth that the people who are riding motorized skateboards should be on a sidewalk. And I have seen in many circumstances where seniors and pedestrians have simply turned around and told them, get on the road where you belong. Let's go to Ed in Vancouver. Hey, Ed. Hi, Mike. Uh, Hi. I, a couple of things quick. Uh, number one, I drive professionally and I can tell you when people are not paying attention, they don't know a, a, a green light is stale. It's been green for a long time. Anticipate the amber. Amber does not mean gun it and fly through the intersection. And number two, and really in my mind, it holds up traffic downtown more than anything. When you are on the curb or approaching the curb as a pedestrian, and that ham says, do not walk, I can't tell you how many times traffic's been held up for five or ten minutes because you cannot take a right-hand turn off of Georgia onto Burrard Okay. Because pedestrians ignore it, don't walk. And it okay. Blake, th- Blake, thanks okay. for the call. Steve, you just got a minute. Go ahead. Three, three things. Number one, um, as far as the pedestrians are concerned, the progressive municipalities are holding pedestrians back, allowing for at least two or three or four cars to make the right turn prior to putting the walk light on. And you see the, 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 the little white man that says you can walk. The second thing is people don't understand. When the hand comes up and there's a countdown, that means you're not permitted to start walking. You must stay where you are, regardless of what the countdown or seconds are. Okay. That's a real problem. And the other thing is that as far as the, uh, the weights are concerned um, yeah. at the intersections, uh, you have to move traffic, and if your credo is keep the traffic moving, you'll okay. come to very logical solutions. Steve, well, the time always goes by too fast. Thanks for coming on. Hey, anytime, Mike, and Happy New Year to all your listeners. Thank you. Same to you. That's Steve Wallace, Wallace Driving School.